When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo and writer and compadre Gabriel Mizrahi. Here at the Art of Charm, we don't have all the answers, but we definitely have all the right questions. Thanks to you today on Fan Mail Friday. Some of those questions come from you. If you're new to the Art of Charm podcast, Fan Mail Friday isn't a great place to start. Most of our content is more in-depth than longer format, so check out the best of at theartofcharm.com slash best or the fundamentals toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of body language and nonverbal communication, attraction, negotiation, networking, persuasion, and everything else we teach here at The Art of Charm. We'll send all of this to your inbox if you text CHARMED, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444 in the USA, or if you're not, go to theartofcharm.com. Oh, before I forget, we've deemed this month Social Capital Month with the goal to teach you how to apply a new way of thinking around the idea of your network is your net worth. I'm sure you've heard that before. So check out the free video training series at theartofcharm.com slash network. Check it out now because we're only going to do this once and then we're going to be taking them down. And I'm not just like, they're only here for this week, but they really, we're going to take them down because we're going to incorporate them into something else that is not free. So check it out, theartofcharm.com slash network. All right, let's cut to it. Hi, Jordan. I'm a young almost grad and really feel the Art of Charm is helping improve myself with each passing week. Thank you for putting so much great content out there. I'm writing because I feel that I'm close to doing irreparable damage to the relationship with my mother and I don't know how to avoid it. I recently took a gap year from university to take a moment and think about what I want for myself in the future. I feel this has been the most productive year of my life and I feel surer than ever where I want to go. I want to be self-employed, either freelance or running a small business in my field, which is a type of engineering. I'm fine with taking on a more regular job while I work towards being self-employed. The problem comes from my mother being completely unsupportive of my goals. I feel she's absolutely incapable of saying anything nice to me without having a quote-unquote but at the end. She argues that there's not really anything to be supportive of as I'm not making any money yet, while I argue that I've only been freelancing for less than a year and that it takes time to build a client base and a body of work. In the meantime, I've also been working a regular job to pay the bills. The thing that led to the current crisis is when I told her that I had been contacted by a huge musician to do work for them because they saw my portfolio and they liked it. While I haven't gotten the job and probably won't since I lack experience for something that big, I still feel that she should have been happy for me. Someone that big reaching out solely on the merit of my portfolio, in my opinion, weren't some kind of acknowledgement. Instead, what I got when I called her to tell her the news was her ramblings about how what I do doesn't pay the bills and how she's working so hard and how she sacrifices herself for me all the time. 
I got very angry over the phone and said that I felt she's never been supportive of me, at which point she got angry saying I was blaming her and then she hung up. Since then, I tried to call and make things right, but she told me that she won't encourage me pursuing a self-employment career, even if that means losing me as a family member, as I won't be able to pay my bills that way. We have a very small family, which consists of my mother, my grandmother, and myself, so her saying that just blows my mind and hurts me very badly. She's very conservative in her views of work, coming from an immigrant background and having a mentality where work that isn't the type of uh, nine to nine to seven <laughs> work isn't real. Nine to seven. That's a long day. It's a long day. Yeah. This isn't a new problem. She's never been able to be positive about anything I do, except me getting laid, which is kind of weird, right? That is weird. Okay. <laughs> we now barely talk and I have no idea what to do. She's always been a neurotic mess. I would understand her fears better if our financial situation was dire. But as it stands, she could quit her job and live a good life in a European capital for 15 years after which she could sell her very central apartment that it's, that's too big for her anyway and live another 20 years in a less expensive country. I don't know what to do. I'm very angry at her and sad that I don't have anyone believing in myself other than my few friends and occasional girlfriend. I have a difficult history with an alcoholic father and a family on my mother's side that's absolutely nuts. I've only realized this over the past couple of years as I've been doing a lot of self-analysis, meditation, and reading about enmeshed relationships. If this had been a friend, I would have cut them off years ago, but it's my mom. What can I do to keep a good relationship with my mother while not letting her negativity affect me? Signed, Angry and Sad. That was a book, but I get why. I mean, there's a lot in here. And I like, I actually really feel bad for this guy because he's, it doesn't sound like he has those unrealistic expectations. I mean, he's fine working a regular job while he works towards being self-employed, his portfolio showing some promise. He seems to have kind of a realistic outlook on how long it's going to take to get clients and what work he needs to put in to do it, which is mo something that most entrepreneurs never have. They're kind of like, ah, three weeks from now, I'm going to do this massive launch and make seven figures. That's what you hear from these guys. But this is really just his mom's insecurities being dumped on him. And it's not just baggage. There's actually, she's trying to implement consequences. Like I'm cutting you out of my life if you don't do what I want you to do. I mean, that's massively controlling. Uh, Gabriel, what do you think? This is creeping me out a little bit, actually. <laughs> yeah, this is a tough one. I think bottom line, what this guy is saying is that there's a cost to being his own person. And that cost right now is his mother's love and approval. He clearly comes from a tight knit family where approval and connection obviously mean a lot. But it sounds like as a result, he's been making choices for her, not for himself. And now that he's starting to live a life for himself, he's realizing just how different his values are from his mother's. So I think the real question is, do I live my life for me? And should I throw off my mother's expectations? And I think any person who's ever lived a life for himself and uh, or herself and has tried to do something that that's meaningful has had to deal, you know, to some degree with, you know, confronting which values mean more. And I think that's exactly what he's what he's facing. Yeah, I mean, his mom clearly has control issues. It sounds like she's a little neurotic. There's obviously something going on here where she feels like she can never quit working. Maybe she's a workaholic or something like that, and she's trying to make him do that. I mean, it's really, really kind of weirdly complex, but... And I get why she's doing this. In theory, she's also trying to protect him. She probably sees a lot of people who she thinks are lazy because she's from this hardworking immigrant generation who just want to do things on their own and they never make any money and they never have any security. And he's, she sees him maybe doing that, but 
She's also completely ignoring all evidence to the contrary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, in the beginning of any entrepreneurial endeavor or any freelance career, there's always that period where you start realizing that this isn't easy. It's going to take some time. And frankly, I'm not going to have like a a clear, perfect answer to the question, what do you do and how much money do you make until things start going? It sounds like angry and sad. This guy has started to get, you know, some nice recognition for his work. Maybe it's not picking up as quickly as he wants, but it sounds like things are moving and he's caught in that in-between period where it just hasn't become his full career. And what makes it hard is that his mother, whom he's obviously really close to, is holding it over him. And as you said, pulling out all these different cards. I don't know, Jordan. I mean, I feel like, you know, there's this old story about the Buddha. The Buddha used to ask his students, have you killed your parents yet? And what he meant (laughs) was, have you rejected their control over you? You know, like, have you thrown off the imprint and the expectations that they've put into you from a young age? And have you started living for yourself? And I feel like that's really the question. The sooner he does that and the sooner he starts living for himself, I think the sooner he'll he'll probably be a lot happier, even if it means a tough relationship with his mother in the short term. Right. I honestly, I think that if he stands up for himself in a way that that makes sense and isn't just like, F you, mom, I think that if he does his own his own work, she's going to be livid in the short term. And then over time, she's going to go, damn it, I miss my son, especially if you have this small family. Right. I mean, she's she, this is probably an empty threat. The whole I'm not going to love you anymore if you do your freelance thing. I think that's an empty threat. And honestly, it's not one she has a right to make empty or not. So there's definitely no part of me that says you should just do what your mom wants so that she'll love you. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. And if she really does love him, then she will come around eventually. And if she doesn't, which I suppose is possible, then that's really her choice. And he's going to have to accept that. But it comes down to, do you want to protect this person and let her live in her fear and try to impose it on you? Or do you want to live for yourself and maybe risk some you know, discomfort and some some trouble in the short term? I think ultimately, I think you're right, Jordan, she will come around. Yeah, I mean, the, the solution to this one is really clear. It's the execution that's just going to be so difficult, right? It's not hard to figure out what to do. The hard part is doing it. And doing it well, yeah, and being successful. All right, next question, Jason. Hey, Jordan, listen to the podcast and especially like the Friday shows. I was hoping for your advice on a particular subject. I've been working as a junior-level programmer at a company for a year. My boss is a more experienced programmer than I am. At times, he asks me to do tasks which seem convoluted or unachievable. I try to point out why it probably won't work well or offer alternate solutions I see as working better, but he generally declines them, so I just do it his way. When I complete the task, he inevitably seems disappointed with the result, even though the problems with it are exactly the ones I pointed out before. I feel like at times I'm being set up for failure. What's the best way to approach this problem? I may be in the wrong, but I appreciate your advice for how honest it is. This is weird because I've... I've only had bosses that I've always disappointed, I'm pretty sure. So I, I don't think I don't think I'm in a great position to explain why or how to change this. Gabriel, you've worked in a corporate environment, right? So you may have an idea about how certain particular people want things done even if it's outside your wheelhouse. Oh man, I really empathize with this guy. Uh, This is a tough situation. It sounds like his boss is setting him up to fail, but his boss doesn't seem to want to listen to that or to improve. 
the good news is that the writer, this guy, he does see the challenge very clearly, and it sounds like he understands the dynamics at work. But let's just appreciate how hard this is for a junior programmer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's never easy to point out the difficult or the uncomfortable stuff with your boss, especially when he's the one at fault. So I think it sounds like basically he has three choices, right? He could stay in this job and continue to struggle. He could bring up the problem in a very direct way to his boss or, I guess, to another superior, or he could find another job at another company, which, let's be honest, might be a perfectly reasonable option if this one isn't going to get any better. So, you know, we could sit here and walk through the benefits and the costs of each, but assuming that he does want to stay and that he wants to make this job as, you know, pleasant and and set up in a way that he can actually succeed, I have a feeling there might be an uncomfortable but important conversation coming up with his boss, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, how do you start that conversation? Like, hey, by the way, the way that you do things is ridiculous and my way is better. <laughs> like, that's not a good way to handle that. How do no, you approach the subject? It's not. And I can speak from experience because I've worked with a couple nightmare managers and I've done it poorly and I've done it really well. So all I can tell you is this. When it comes to somebody who's who's managing poorly and who's probably pretty set in his ways, then if you decide to approach this conversation, it will have to be an extremely candid and extremely non-threatening conversations. Like he would have to begin by explaining clearly like what he sees the problem is. He would have to keep it really focused on the work as opposed to his personal feelings about this guy. In other words, instead of saying like, you know, on Monday you did this and on Wednesday you set me up to fail and on Friday you didn't even review my code. And when you did, you know, it wasn't helpful. I think it'll have to be a lot more of a conversation that comes from a place of, I want to be the best possible programmer I can be. I really love this place. I think you and I can work extremely well together, but here are the ways in which I feel like I actually don't have what I need to succeed. And I'm probably not being the best possible employee for you. So let's talk about it. Here's what I'm seeing. Do you agree? Here's how I might change it. What do you think? And then maybe the most important thing in the conversation will be to stop and just listen to what this guy has to say. You know, even if he doesn't like it, even if it's not pleasant, a big part of this conversation is going to be listening to what his boss has to say and making him feel heard. And if he approaches it that way, I think a pretty uncomfortable conversation could become a really productive one. It just takes, you know, the presence and the planning to make sure that it comes from the right place. Yeah. And if done well, this could lead to a position where you're one of the few people your boss is actually comfortable with and you become his favorite even though you came into it almost critiquing his management style, right? I had I had a manager a long time ago who was insanely passionate about the work that we did. I was a management consultant for four years and she was insanely dedicated, super passionate, but just incredibly hard to get along with, not clear in her direction, probably very similar to the manager in this in this email. And when I approached that conversation, I remember starting it, and I don't know why I decided to do this, but it just came out. I was like, look, I, I think that it's pretty obvious to me that nobody in this company cares about this project more than you. You are the person driving it forward. And because you are, I think you demand a lot from the people around you and that you're probably asking for things in a way that's not getting you the results that you want. So let's talk about it and let's try to both get better. And I can't tell you how much that changed the tone of the whole thing, you know, like crediting somebody for having the passion and the desire to actually make it good starts it off on a note that will get you so much further than approaching it from the perspective of here's how I think you need to change. Yeah. If somebody told me when people come to me and say, look, I know the reason that you're micromanaging the crap out of everyone is because you care so much about the brand. I then I can't, I can't be like, what? I'm not doing that. I usually say, yeah, you're right. 
That's the only thing I can say is, yeah, you're right, because that is the reason, you know, and I'm not even debating the point. Sometimes I'm like, am I that bad? And they're like, no, no, it's fine. It's just, you know, please do it all at once in the beginning of a project or proofread the whole thing. Don't go every phase and write us emails about how much everything stinks. And I'm like, that's fair, right? Although maybe I'm more reasonable than other people, although I, I, I doubt that. Gabriel, did you have anything else to add before we wrap up? No. I think that pretty much nailed it. But yeah, it definitely is easier with a reasonable person. A, a, a largely reasonable person would probably respond pretty well to a conversation like what we just outlined. You know, an unreasonable person might just shut down and get defensive and not even want to hear it. And if that's the case, then those are the kinds of circumstances that make people want to change jobs. That's OK. I mean, that's happens all the time. Right. But yep. I think it's worth having that conversation and giving it a shot before he looks elsewhere. Great. Next question, Jason. Jordan, my wife is a direct sales team leader and might be facing a team crisis. It's an all-ladies company, and it appears that one of the girls may have stolen from at least three others, including my wife. She's worried that if she proceeds with an investigation, whether or not the person is guilty, that it could tear the team apart and break down trust between them. My wife's been very successful over the last year by focusing on team building and has one of the highest success rates in the company. Her team is successful, and she's worried that much of her work is going to go down the drain because of the investigation. What leadership practices and tactics do you recommend for a leader in this position? I think it's pretty clear the investigation is going to move forward, but how can she mitigate the negative effects of the team discovering a Judas in their midst? Thanks very much. Love the show and can't wait to hear back. Best wishes, A.B. Uh, this one is is tough because it's it kind of like, well... Your ship has a hole in the hull because of rust. What you have to do is knock out the rust and then patch it up. But you don't want to do that while you're out at sea. So the timing on this really depends. And Gabriel, I'm sure you can shed more light on this, but I wouldn't want to do it in the middle of a huge project where this person plays a pivotal role just because of the stress it would put on everybody else. But how much stealing – if I come and work for you, how much can I steal before you fire me? That's the question, right? And the answer should yeah. be zero. The answer should absolutely be zero. And of course, there are better times and worse times to take somebody off of a team. But the fact is, if this person is stealing, yeah. then this team is already being torn apart, even if they don't know it. And the trust among the team members is for sure already breaking down. So I think if this guy's wife is really a great team leader, as he says she is, then she will find a way to resolve this in a quick and responsible way, or she, certainly she she should. Like, that's the definition of a good leader. Yeah, you, you know, for me, I'm trying to, th I, this is not the same situation, but when I was 17 or 16 years old, I worked at a movie theater, and we would all go into the break room. We, we hated our bosses, and they were just awful, and they all got caught stealing, which I think is really funny and ironic, but we would go and be like, I'm eating gummy bears because they didn't give me a lunch break, and I'm starving, and so we go, you know, take gummy bears, and the thing is, all the employees knew which other employees were going in the in the stock room and eating gummy bears and candy. Like we all knew who that was. The management and the ownership was the last to find out who that was. So my point here is if your wife is the team leader and she knows someone is stealing, but she's afraid other people are going to find out and the trust is going to be affected, they probably already know. She, your wife is probably the last person who found out. She's probably the last piece of the puzzle, which means that by the time she found out, the instant she found out, it was probably already late enough where the damage had been done. Every minute that gets that you wait before you take action, now that everyone knows that you know, probably, or at least they all know that's, that she should know, is just more damage being done, right? You're now grinding on the metal. 
this person needs to go yesterday. And mm -hmm. as far as mitigating negative effects, the, you know, this, this guy mentioned that his wife is concerned about how it might look and what the repercussions might be of, of bringing it, you know, to the light. Like, I think he should tell his wife to have a candid conversation with her team about values and expectations. I can't imagine that if my boss came to me and my colleagues and said, listen, here's what's been going on for the last few months. I find it unacceptable. And I want to make sure that our team never has to deal with that kind of thing again. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel anything but positive feelings about that person. I'd feel like I'm in good hands. I'd feel more trusting. I'd feel like I'm being taken care of. I'd feel like this is a person who cares about the quality of the environment. So it sounds like maybe his wife is a little bit concerned about the office politics, which I can understand. But if she explains why she's doing this and makes everybody feel taken care of, I, I can't imagine how she wouldn't look like a better team leader. Absolutely. All right, Jason, next. First of all, I have to say that AOC is the bomb.com, and I recommend your show to everyone I talk to. But obviously, I'm here to ask about my problems, so let's cut to it. I'm working my second big girl job out of college. This job is at a smaller company than my first, and the small size is allowing me to grow and expand into new roles and learn a lot. I enjoy the challenge and the novelty of my job. My issue is that I have a horrible boss. I'm sensing a theme today. Sure, everyone thinks that their boss is horrible, but mine is a serious problem. He's the son of the company's owner and one year out of school. Basically, he wanted to take over my department, had my director laid off, and set himself up in her place. He's completely inexperienced in every way, but believes he's doing a great job. He read the one-minute manager once and felt that that was all he ever needed to know about management. He's never had a real job, and since he was born into a privileged life, he has no idea how to relate to his employees. He's condescending in a chronic mansplainer. In short, I have no respect for this guy, and I can't help but show it in my attitude and actions at work. My work is great, but I am so unfriendly to him that I'm concerned I'll be fired. How do I find it in me to show this guy respect at work, even though I don't think he really deserves it? How can I be grateful that I'm employed in my industry with a challenging and interesting role? Or should I just find another job? I've been here for a little less than a year, and I have no savings to speak of, so leaving before I find a new job is sadly out of the question. I like my role here, but I just can't deal with my manager. Please help, Anonymous. Yeah, this totally sucks, because I'm just imagining some little squirt mansplain. I mean, it's just everything. She's very articulate. This, this email was actually irritating, right? Because she's really good at explaining how irritating this person is. And I can imagine them being your boss, decade younger, telling you how things are done because they read a web page about it or something. You know, it's ugh. Gabriel, what what can be done here? Oh man, again, I empathize so much with this girl. Uh, this is very similar to the letter from the junior programmer, but there's a twist because this guy's the son of the company's owner, so there are some precarious dynamics at work here. Um, Basically, I think she also has three choices. She could muddle through and learn to work with this guy uh, however she can, or she can try to resolve the issues either with him directly or someone else at the company, which might be his dad, um, or she could find another job. What's, I mean, I guess, you know, we could walk through the costs and the benefits again of each, and probably she's already done that in her mind. But I think the important thing is that in the short term, she has to continue to do the best possible work she can do and to put her personal feelings about this guy aside, at least for the moment. Now, that's important. It's hard, but it's really important because no matter what she does, whether she talks to him or whether she looks for another job or changes her role, it's the quality of her work that's going to determine her success, right? Like it's going to be 
so much about what she's doing at this company, despite this guy, um, as opposed to the story of how she worked under a really terrible guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it really, it sucks for the guys, the kid's dad, because he probably thinks his son's going to get the hang of it and that everybody's fine because nobody's said anything. And then he's suddenly going to see productivity go down and see his all-stars start to peel off and leave. And he'll just be lucky that if one of them on the way out the door during the exit interview says, I just can't work for your son anymore, he's terrible. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that we have to wait until that exit interview to find out the truth about what's going on in our own companies. You know, like yeah. if this guy were a great boss, he would already be on top of that. And I guess if you were a great boss, his son wouldn't be difficult to work with. But yeah. there's another aspect to this letter, Jordan, I think we should probably get into for a second, which is that it sounds like she's having a lot of trouble putting aside her feelings about this guy and hiding her reactions, which I completely understand because I've <laughs> been know. there. Like I've worked yeah. with people I feel like, you know, who are difficult and it's just really hard to hide how you feel at work, especially, right? Um, chances are, I think this guy, her boss and her colleagues already probably know how she feels about him. It sounds like she's pretty transparent, which only is creating a more toxic and awkward work environment, right? So I would say maybe also notice the ways in which your reactions are making the situation worse. Not that you're not justified in feeling that way. I completely get it. But you have to take ownership over the role that you're now playing in this dysfunctional relationship by making it clear how much you dislike this person as opposed to this is the way it is for the moment. Let me do what I need to do to make sure we do the best possible work. Yeah, it's um, I can't I couldn't keep my head clearer probably because I would be so annoyed and I, I just can't it's hard for me to hide things like that I don't have good practice doing it because I don't have to here being self-employed but I, I oh man I, I empathize and uh, I'm glad Gabriel that you were here to give a recommendation on this because for me I just my only solution to a lot of these is like leave <laughs> you know it's, it's terrible and that might um, be that might be the best choice for her but I don't know. I think people can surprise you. And if she decides to bring it up with him and have the same kind of conversation we talked about with the junior programmer, and I would say go back and listen to that again and see if it fits, then things could get better. I, my hopes are not that high because it's a family company, but it is possible. I'd say in the meantime, my recommendation, keep focusing on doing great work. Focus on the things you do love about this job, which it sounds like you're already doing. That gratitude is so important. You know, Keep developing yourself and building relationships outside of work because you know, you might want to start informally looking for another position and maybe that's the best way to handle it. But if you do all of those things simultaneously and stay positive and productive, I'm confident that you will end up exactly where you want to be and you'll probably be a better person for it. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Perfect. All right, Jason, the next. Hey, Jordan and Jason. Something odd happened to me the other day, and I was hoping for some advice on preventing it in the future. Over the last year, I've been trying to become a better person, thanks in no small part to your show. And part of that includes improving my career. At an interview with a company that I'm genuinely excited to work with, one of the interviewers said something that I didn't have a good answer for. To paraphrase, why don't I want to hire you? On paper, you're perfect. But after meeting with you, I have concerns. You have all these skills and experience, but you're not traditionally employed. While I have a lot of skills and experience, the majority of it is from various freelance gigs and failed entrepreneurial endeavors. I admit that my career suffered a lot from a bout of post-grad lack of direction, but even at my worst slacker, I still focused on learning new skills. How do I frame my experience and my recent personal growth in a way that will prevent this from happening again? Thanks in advance for any advice you can give me. Confused candidate. Jason, did you have coffee this morning? I had uh, several. Why? Because okay, you're, hey, in the beginning of this question, just redlined all my meters. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was trying to be exciting and hey, ready to go. I, I appreciate it. And it sounded, but, sounded pretty good on my end. <laughs> it sounded great. Leave it in. Leave it in. But see, with this guy, this question, I think we're being, we need a term for this. Not red herring, really, but it, he's kind of guiding us. We're seeing a smoke signal here that's not quite what we what we think what I think is is accurate. He says, "Well, why don't I want to hire you on paper? You're perfect, but after meeting you with you, I have concerns." Let's put a hard break in between there and then read the next line, which is, "You have all these skills and experience, but you're not traditionally employed." Those two things in my mind have nothing to do with one another. If they called you in there, they don't care 
that you're not traditionally employed or they did and they were expecting you to diffuse that some way and you didn't. But what it sounds like is they went, hey, this guy's this guy's not traditionally employed, but it's probably fine. Look at all these skills he has on paper. Then you showed up and something that you did or did not do during that interview made them not want to hire you. It has nothing to do with your skills or your past, because if it did, they would have just not called you back. Right. Yeah, I think that's actually something we absolutely need to talk about because it's sort of in between the lines of his email. First of all, let's take a moment to thank this interviewer for asking you like the question you need to ask yourself right now, which is why aren't I hireable, right? Like you called this an odd interview was your word, but this could have been the interview that changes your life if you choose to listen to it and figure out what you need to change. I think there are two parts of it. Jordan, you, you nailed it with the personal, you know, the personality element of a good interview. Before that comes into play, though, it sounds like he's really asking, how do I tell my story? Like, I have an unusual story, so how do I explain it to people and make them feel like I'm an attractive candidate? So I think this guy's job right now is to work on that short, clear, concise story that explains who he is and why he's going to bring value to the company. Like, that's the glue that will hold your resume together, and it'll communicate who you are, not just what you know and what you can do, which is what you touch on in the email. The good news is it sounds like he has all the pieces of that in place. He just needs to make them fit together. So knowing that he has a non-traditional background, I would say take some time to craft a story that weaves together all of those skills and experiences and perspectives, but gets out in front of the objections that he knows are going to start coming. Like, well, you've never had a traditional job. You have some gaps in your resume. Like he needs to start to address those and make them make sense. He doesn't need to be a traditional candidate to get a good job. He just has to be the right candidate. And that gets into your other point, which is, you know, is this guy the sort of person people want to hire? And I think that's a much harder question, don't you think? I do, because the story alone might not be it's well, it's definitely not the whole equation here. I, I know plenty of people at startups and this is sort of a Silicon Valley thing. So throw this out if you think it doesn't apply. But I know a lot of people that get hired for positions where what the founders really liked or the hiring managers or HR, what they really liked was the level of enthusiasm and likability. And sure, some of these positions were like HR, customer service and sales. But Unless it's an engineering, and actually, especially if it's an engineering job, if they called you back, you have the qualifications. They would not bother wasting their time otherwise. So something in the interview did or did not happen that was not that was additionally not made up for in likability, rapport, enthusiasm, etc. And no, and and no interview interviewer is going to stop and say, you know, I would have hired you, but you, you're just kind of a dick <laughs> or whatever. Right. Like nobody's going to tell you that to your face. You failed to build s sufficient rapport with me. No, they just go, eh, I'm not feeling this guy. The interesting thing about this, though, is that he said that I want to hire you, but I can't because of something that doesn't feel right. You know, so most people would just say, oh, I'm sorry, you're not a fit and move on. So that's kind of the weird bit about this, that the, the interviewer actually came out and said that, that this is this is kind of a problem with how I perceive you and perceive what you've told me. So maybe he didn't actually believe him. So I think that comes yeah. back to, you know, telling the story properly. Or he wanted the guy to go, look, I'm really nervous, so I'm being a little weird. Oh, OK. Not like, nope, this is me. He, he, this is what you're going to get. And they're like, mm, pass, you know. Yeah, I think you guys are, are both nailing it. Like the story is not enough. Uh, he also has to be inviting and trustworthy and personable, which might be where he's struggling a little bit. And ultimately, like there are two parts of the, the, the equation when it comes to getting an offer. One is, do you, you know, do I think you're going to add value to my company? That one's pretty straightforward, I think. But 
the much harder and softer part of it, harder and softer, meaning like it's tougher to nail and it's also harder to pin down is, do I like you and do I trust you, right? And at this stage of his career, given his freelance jobs and his spotty resume, like he needs someone to invest in him and take a chance. So he needs to be the kind of person who's worth investing in and who inspires that chance. So in terms of nuts and bolts, when you say, probably I would start by going back and listening to the AOC Toolbox episodes about all of those subjects, trust, rapport, connection. And I would even check out the social capital program because you guys cover all of that stuff in insane detail. And I think if he works on that side of the equation, he might actually get some results in, in the future interviews. Agreed. Thank you. My pleasure. That was super fun. Hope y'all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. A link to this blog post can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF 73. Hey, also, of course, as I mentioned earlier, we've deemed this month Social Capital Month. So we've got a goal here to teach you how to apply a new way of thinking around the idea of your network is your net worth. Some of you may have heard that before. Check out the free video training series we're running here at theartofcharm.com slash network. Check it out now. We're going to do this now we're going to take them down later not in a fake way i know i hate when people are like it's only up for three days we're actually going to be incorporating them into something else that is not free so go ahead and check it out it's a little experiment tell us what you think the art of slash network quick shout outs to bill durfee he listens to the show with his 18 year old daughter i love that he uh, wrote and said i can finally share this with her and i i really appreciate that and dylan f who listens in manhattan because his girlfriend turned him on to the show. I dig that. Ladies, tell your men about AOC. Are you in a strange land listening to my familiar voice? If so, hit me up and I'd love to shout you out. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps that we run every single week here in LA. If you want to really dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, that's bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 